Welcome to Beyond the Bio, a podcast that shares the stories of our extraordinary people from their own perspectives. You can read their bios online, but those hardly scratch the surface of who they are and the great work that they're doing. I'm Keith Bevins, a partner and global head of consultant recruiting at Bain. Today joining me is Miguel Samos de Mello, a partner in our London office. Today we'll talk with Miguel about his background, his work across all three Bain regions, and the roles he's held at the firm and outside of his client work. Miguel, welcome. Thank you. So why don't we start at the very beginning? Mm -hmm. Uh, You've had a lot of different types of experiences, but what was your path into Bain and your path into the business world? Maybe if you want to start where you grew up, what schooling was like, and how you decided what to do after school. Absolutely. I grew up on a very traveling family. We did move a few times before I even started university. I'm Portuguese. I was born in a Portuguese colony in Africa. It was Mozambique, and, and basically we had to flee out of the country and lived in mostly South America, but also Spain, so Argentina, Peru, Spain, and Portugal. So that allowed me to experiment a lot of different cultures and also see a lot of different economic developments. When I finished high school, really business and economics was a big interest of mine, and I did a, a graduated on business and economics. On the back of that, what I did is my first job was really in the private equity area. It was working for a private equity, analyzing investments and trying to to see how we could add value to these companies. It was focused on emerging markets. So it did allow me to continue traveling. And I worked a lot in Brazil, in Mexico, still very much on emerging markets in Latin America, which was a great experience. I really loved the business side of it. I learned a lot about finance. I guess at the crux of that moment, what I realized is the true heroes of every deal that we were making was the management team. And that is when I decided I want to be closer to the management side of things. And I decided that an MBA was a good idea. And you did private equity for a couple of years down there, right? That's right. During that time, what were you doing to get closer to the management team and get visibility into that? Because I imagine you start out as an Excel jockey, building models back in the office. Exactly. What did you do to see where the real heroes were? How did you discover that? It was really in those processes of doing a due diligence and seeing bad companies and good companies in the same sector. And you ask yourself, why is that? And then meeting them and seeing the quality live in those discussions. And then as you were putting together the business plans and the projections, these were the guys that really understood the business and what drove value and how to create value propositions that were engaging for consumers. And at the end, when I was doing those Excel files that you're talking about, okay, what I put for growth, I put three or 5%. And at the end, you're like, I don't know, I can put anything you want. I'm just doing the model. But these guys knew what they were doing. And that's when I realized that that was kind of like the center of everything we were doing. It was the management team were the heroes. When you were learning that, what made you think that an MBA was the right path to build those skills versus actually going into industry or dropping into one of the portfolio companies and working on the ground in management? Great question. So I knew that I wanted to spend more time studying some subjects that I didn't do at Union, like more around marketing and operations. And then second, business was not only the element that I thought it was successful. So I was exposed to different countries, but also many times different countries with the same language or with different languages. And even within the same language, there were a lot of cultural barriers. So I understood how important and understanding cultures and understanding how consumers behave differently is for businesses. So when I decided to do a master's degree, I actually took a dual master's degree. It was kind of like an MBA, but also high an MA in international studies. That had a big element of studying languages and studying politics and international relations and culture. We had a couple of trips embedded in that program, et cetera. So that felt more of a complete program to me you know, and what I was looking for. When you were doing that dual master's program, were the cultures and languages that you were studying all Latin American or was it truly a global program? 
the backbone of the program was global, and then you have to pick some languages. I did spend more time on my French, which was not a Latin American language, as you know, and I did travel to Asia quite a bit. And I didn't speak an Asian language, I still don't. But it did open your mind about business and culture and countries and how complex that is. I mean, now that I'm, I'm like a business advisor, how important. When you see a company, oh, I want to expand into the other market. I just do the same thing that I do here. Well, you cannot do that, really. So what was your experience like in school? You were at Wharton. You were doing the dual program. Wharton brings students from all over the world to campus. Students go from Wharton to all over the world. What was that experience like, and how did you think about what to do after that experience? It was a great experience. Not only you had the academics, but I think it exposed me to a very, very international student group. And then exposed me to a series of experiences that were really revealing, both internally with students, but also traveling and meeting business people, etc. Coming from the financial community, I wanted to try consulting. So I did my summer in one of the BBMs in Europe. Also, coming back to Europe was something that I wanted to do. So I had that trial period. And I guess how I ended up going through the two years is I decided that was the right step. It was not necessarily the right firm. So that second year, I was still undecided what to do. And that is where I did consider industry, I did consider other options. But that's where I got to know better who Bain was, what did Bain do, and what type of activity, and got to meet people, and I got to interview. And, and after considering, I decided to take that offer and, and join Bain. Did you leverage your private equity experience when you started out at Bain, or was that one of the things that attracted you to the firm? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that our private equity experience and the fact that it is not in a practice that is totally ring fans and only a few people do it. Everyone goes through that at some point in their lives. Gives us a series of disciplines that is differentiated from what I experienced in other firms. It's just like that drive to value, like true north, like having that investor perspective all the time and how you're going to increase the value of this company. And many times just cutting through politics and trying to get stuff done. Absolutely. Now, one of the things we talk about a lot these days is building your own bane. And yeah, the more yeah. people you talk to at Bain, the more paths you find on how to navigate Bain. Yeah. And I've known you for a long time, but I don't think I knew all about your journey through Bain. So mm-hmm. when you finished school, you started at Bain in Madrid. That's right. Except we're now sitting in London. Yes. But I don't think those were the only two stops that you've made. No. No. <laughs> it was not a direct line, Madrid, London. No, definitely not. You just don't know what the journey is going to be like. And I, to be honest, I didn't have a very articulated view myself. Exactly. I just wanted to take the opportunity, kind of like on your classic, let's take it two years and see where this takes us. And having traveled a lot in the past, I was really open to opportunity. So it gradually, and if I look back, maybe I can connect the points. But at the time, I just couldn't. It was kind of like gradually different opportunities came up. So I ended up going... In a nutshell, from Madrid back to Latin America, spent a year and a half in New York, back to Europe. Then I came back to the U.S., to Seattle for a year and a half, another client. And they ended up in Australia for five years. Never planned, but that's how I ended up. And then I came back to London. So it was kind of like a full loop. Either you were a fugitive and, <laughs> and you were, it was getting too hot and you had to move, or there were actually things that were drawing you, which is I'm guessing what the reason was. But talk about what you were doing in each of those cities that led you to move yeah. to very different cultures and very different that's parts right. of the world. So I was in Madrid doing private equity, doing a little bit of retail and CPE. That was how I started. Mm-hmm. There was this retail opportunity with an utilities company. It was in a Spanish utility company in Latin America. So I took that role. And it was across three countries. 
which was very interesting to me. So I spent six months traveling between Colombia and Chile and Argentina. And, and Brazil. you were a consultant at this time? I was a CTL. Okay, so basically two and a half years out of Wharton. That's right. Okay. Yeah, I was two years out of, and I was managing two teams in two different countries, which was a great experience. And then on the back of that, for personal reasons, moved to New York, another standard peg, and then jumped into transformation of a technology company. So were you promoted to manager in New York? Right before. So yeah. you, you got promoted to manager out of the work you were doing in Latin America That's and then right. started in a new office. And the integration in that new office, what was that like? I think it was good. One thing that I really appreciated about Bain in all the moves that I've done is it is one of the few places that your craft is almost plug and play. Some other industries, you have these rotational opportunities, but each country is a really different beast. For us, the job, what we do is kind of like the same. And we have this global culture, so you can immediately plug in and be adding value from day one. Right, so you moved to New York. That's right. You joined private equity, you're a manager, you're yeah. getting to know your manager peers, and then how long until you moved again? Yeah, it was probably a year and a half. When I went to New York, is my wife was also working, and she had a, an invitation to work in New York for a year and a half and headquarters of her company, so that's why we moved. And after a year and a half, a couple of things happened. My wife got pregnant, and she wanted to go back to Europe, and the office was very happy to welcome me back after living for a year and a half. So that's why we decided, okay, maybe this next step is better. And then we were having a baby, and we felt New York having a baby maybe was a little bit too hard at the time. And here I am with many kids in London, right? By the time, that was kind of like the decision that we took. And that's how we ended up back in Europe, having a baby and me integrated back into European business. But then you ended up in Australia, you said? So what happened on the back of that is, so I, I took a client on the telecom and tech sector in New York, and then I started to continue doing that in Europe. Sometimes you start doing something and then you become, not famous, but people know that you've done that. There was an opportunity at some point in the U.S. again to do more of that type of work, which I got invited to. That's how I ended up in Seattle. From London? From Madrid. From Madrid. Back, back oh, sorry. Yep. Yeah. And a few years later, a similar opportunity came up in, in Australia. And they're like, oh, well, you did it in Europe, you did it in the U.S., will you be interested? And I said, like, yeah, I'll, I'll go a year and help on that front. Now, on those experiences, you start building expertise. Would you say you were called into those experiences because you were a telecommunications expert or technology expert or because of the type of work that we were doing? What was it that people were saying, you know, we need to get Miguel down here because he's the one who can, can really deliver for our client? Yes. So I guess it's a combination of the type of work, which is specifically you become a subject matter expert on customer issues, on operations, or whatever it is. The second one is I was doing transformation work. So transformation, how we define it, it is really engaging the full agenda of a company across multiple topics, multi-year. So having done one that in Europe, again in, in the US, suddenly people know that you can do that. And you're exposed to those situations. So when a new situation comes up, they offer it to you. So I've done a couple of those throughout my career, definitely earlier in my career. Talk about what a transformation project is like, because I think a lot of people think about consulting as three to six month projects. You see a lot of different things. And the language that you use there in terms of a company's agenda really is over the next two to five years, where do we want to take this company and how can I find the right partner to help me get there? What is that journey and what is that process like when you're working on a transformation client as opposed to just a strategy project or an operations yeah, project? Absolutely. So usually when we start, we look at the full potential of the company and say, okay, 
where do you want to be in three to five years? And that goes from, in the most simple terms, you can think about it as EBITDA, and I want to double the size of my EBITDA, or I want to turn around the results, and that both revenue, cost, market that you participate in, et cetera. And out of there, if you want to paint a bridge, you start saying, okay, there's an element of cost, there's an element of operations, there's an element of capex, there's an element of our value proposition, there's an element of new value propositions in market, there's an element of new markets, et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly you realize, oof, I need to do a lot of stuff. I cannot do everything in six months. So you start creating what we call the cadence or the rhythm of the transformation, which is what are the waves of activity and what are the banners of those waves and what are specific projects and the milestones or what does success look like by each of the waves. And suddenly you realize you are in a three-year journey to take a company from here to there. And that is the CEO agenda. And so a transformation is really you partner with the CEO and the management team in defining that plan and that cadence. And then you really partner with them for the whole thing. You are there two or three years working with them and across different topics. And it is not that three, six months, here you are, go and implement it, and I leave. No, you are there seeing the results coming in. And actually, you know, many times you're cross-correcting because, you know, like no point of view, no decision is perfect, right? You need to adapt as you go. Right. Especially now, I think the world changes so quickly that the journey that you started on two years ago might be entirely different because a new technology or a new competitor came in and what you thought was full potential is completely flipped on its head. So those projects take on a different bit of cadence. When you think about the teams that you work with, do they stay on typically for the whole duration or is the team changing? Consultants, associate consultants, managers, what's your core group as you go through that transformation? Obviously, you stayed on, which has allowed you to move to different places and settle in for a couple of years. What's the experience like for the team on those types of experiences? For the team, you have two groups of people and that both are successful. They are the ones that want to see what it is and they stay six months, they touch on a couple of topics and then they say, look, this is great, but I want to experiment something else. And that's fantastic. And they get in and they get out. And there's other group of people that say like, I really like this and I just want to stay over. And they stay a year, a year and a half or more. And there's a few individuals, those are individuals that you end up working again and again in different markets. You're like, yeah, this is what I'm passionate about and I want to do more of this. Yeah. I know early in my career, I bounced around a little bit in my first couple months and then went to a client for 18 months and went right from that 18-month client to 24 months on my next case heading into business school. Like you said, we touched on a lot of different topics. What was really cool for me was that relatively early in my career, because after a year at a company and doing merger integration and then getting into strategy, you literally know every aspect of the company, or at least all the executives. And so the types of things you're able to do in those environments are far beyond what you would normally get to do on a project where you've been there for 20 minutes. As an SAC, as a first-year consultant, I had the opportunity to go meet with the heads of divisions and set the agenda for the next couple months on my own because they knew that I knew their company as well as anybody. In fact, in a merger, oftentimes the outside folks know both companies better than than any one of the companies that merge. So those long-term transformations, a lot of times I think people get that Twitter mentality where they want to sort of do something for four weeks and then go do something else. But when you have the opportunity to go for a couple of years, you really do get to do some things that are far beyond what your tenure would suggest. So you finish up those moves, so Seattle, Australia, and you come back to Europe, to London or Madrid? London, London. You came back to London, London. which is where we are now. That's right. And I've been Uh, here for the last three years. So it's about time to move? Uh, (laughs) No, 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 not really. I have a few clients locally. We're still engaged and, and doing great things. 
as a family, we thought about traveling less and we felt that London was a good place to be put and we're closer to family. And London is still a great place in terms of, I can easily go to the US, I can easily to go to most parts of Asia Pacific overnight. So it is a good place to still think globally. And are you still focusing on transformations as your That's right. fastball? That's right, what I like to do. Okay. Yeah. What are some of the biggest takeaways that you have from doing all the transformation work? It sounds like not only have you done transformations, which are their own animal, you've done them in entirely different contexts, both industry, parts of the world. What are the things that you think are common that people don't always think about when they hear the word transformation? They might think it's, I'm just going to redo the org chart. I'm going to paint my airplanes a different, you know, yeah, get a different logo. Yeah, yeah. What do you think people should take away when they work on transformations? What's the opportunity like? That's a big question. I guess a few highlights that come to mind. One is the ambition and alignment is super critical. You spend more time than you can imagine on that. The second one is they're hard. <laughs> they sound easy, but they're hard. And as you said before, you can do a three-month piece of work and define a point of arrival and a fight path there. But then a lot of things happen. My experience, by the way, on that is that when you lay together five, six, seven projects over a couple of years, each one of those is a very difficult problem to solve. That's Otherwise, right. they would have solved it already. So you finally finish that first three to six month chunk. You get the organization where it needs to go and they feel like that was really hard. We're there. And you go, great. Ready for round two? That's right. And that's the accumulated effect of all of these major changes throughout a single organization, a single leadership team is what makes transformation so difficult. What is it that we do differently as a firm, you think, that makes clients more willing to work with Bain on transformations than other options, including going it alone, but going with other firms? What I hear from my clients and what I see when we have that impact is it is really we appreciate that the perfect solution that cannot be implemented is just not a perfect solution. We are much more into the 80-20, not even 80-20, 70-30, but it broadly is right how we execute it. And let's just try any, some results in the next six months, that approach that we have all the time. It is a much better way of thinking about things. And that translates not only into the solution, but also into how we drive the solution. So a concept that we have, this micro-battle concept of, you have this big project and you're gonna invest a lot of money and you're gonna get all the benefits in two, three years. That's kind of like the opposite. We like to do, okay, how can you break that out into a small thing that I can get a few people in a room and drive something that in one month I'm doing something and in three months I'm deploying it and I'm seeing the line of side of the benefits. That approach is really what excites me and drives differentiated results with our clients. Great. Miguel, just as we start to wrap up here, you've had a lot of different experiences, both in terms of industry, professionally, working literally around the world. You mentioned up front that you didn't exactly have a 10-year plan. It wasn't, this is what I want to do two years from now, four years from now, eight years from now. What advice would you have for people who don't know exactly what they want to do, but are about to take that next step in their career journey? You have some people that really have a very articulated and detailed view of themselves in 10 years, and they really work hard towards that. I was not that. I was more of a, I had a vague vision of the details of what I'm going to be doing. I guess I have a series of principles. I agree because that's who I are and I stick to them. One thing that I learned in my career is understanding your surrounding and the opportunities and the emotions that happen around you. That leads you to a lot of great opportunities that if you're really stuck on something and you are not willing to deviate, then maybe it's great stuff that happens around you that you miss. 
understanding these opportunities and, and trying to profit from them and having a, a really, a, it's more of a year to year, I would like to do this and this is the best opportunity that I can see that helped me there, allowed you to move faster than just having a strict route. That's really great. Sometimes the journey is just as much fun as the destination. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Miguel, thank you for being here. We catch up often over work, but rarely to talk about our journeys through Bain and and our journeys through life. So thanks for taking the time today. No, thanks you, Keith. And thanks everyone for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond the Bio wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you soon with a new episode. Take care, everyone.